Welcome to Remotely Possible, a podcast about the people shaping the future of work. My name's Adam Riggs, and I'm the CEO of Framable, a software company that's improving distributed work for Microsoft Teams and Outlook users. We're always looking for leaders, technology innovators, and software partners who might be a good fit as a guest on the podcast. If you have a story to share about creating and maintaining a highly collaborative environment for either hybrid or fully remote teams, We'll share details at the end of each episode of this podcast so you'll know how to get in touch with us. And now, let's dive into our conversation about how real people are making the future of work more successful. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remotely Possible, the podcast that brings you conversations with people leaning into distributed work so we can learn what's working for them and why. Today, my guest is Aaron Mackey. Aaron is the Vice President and Head of Data and AI ML at Sonata Therapeutics. Sonata is a biotech startup based in the Boston area, and Sonata focuses on network medicines, oncology in particular. Aaron, welcome. Hey, thanks, Adam, for having me. It's a real pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start off by um, just asking you to take a moment to introduce yourself and a bit about your background and uh, and your team right now. Sure. So you know, fundamentally, I'm a scientist. I've been in the scientific industry, both both in industry and in academia, for my entire career. I um, earlier in my career ended up focusing in uh, biology, computationally, bi- computational biology in particular, which is a mashup of computer science, statistics, biology. Um, and and in particular, I've been working in the drug discovery industry, the pharmaceutical industry, trying to understand uh, what it is about human diseases that that you know that or, or what it, what is it about human biology that makes diseases so so hard to treat, and trying to find new new therapies to treat human disease better. Okay, um, how big is your team now, Aaron? Yeah, so um, Sonata Therapeutics is a pretty early stage startup company. The whole company is only 60 some people, uh, of which 50 some I would say are, are, are scientific staff, scientific R&D. Of that 50, the vast majority are, are in the labs, um, in, our, in, um, in our, our laboratory office space uh, in, in Watertown, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. The data team that I had um, is uh, approximately eight people. You know, we're doing a little hiring right now, which is why I say approximately, but, um, you know, eight people. So, you know, I like to say about, you know, 15, 20% of the, you know, operational staff is 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 related to, to data in some way. Okay. And so, you know, you mentioned the lab work, which is so critical uh, to your to your business model and your company. So can you describe the uh, the hybrid model that that Sonata has adopted, you know, that sort of um, takes into account the lab work, which is obviously um, in person, and then the data analytics and the other parts of the business. Like, how would you describe the hybrid model that is currently um, embraced by the company right now? Sure. So as you can imagine, you know, any day to day, week to week, we've got data coming off of various different pieces of scientific equipment that we're using to help you know, inform and 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 drive our various drug discovery um, efforts. 
And you know the data team's responsibility is to make sure that that you know the that the life of that data is essentially cared for and 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 nurtured throughout the complete life cycle from the time it comes off to the machine to the time it hits uh, you know some kind of network attached storage and then it gets into some some cloud storage and then from there probably into a database and all along the way various automated. Uh, uh, automated tooling that does um, data consistency and, and quality checking, various kinds of um, uh, um, templated analytics, and then more sort of specialty uh, bespoke analytics that 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 happen, um, all to try to answer and, and you know answer questions and to drive progress in our different in our different programs. So you know, it it really is a it's a you know use the word hybrid and 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 hybrid can mean so many different things. Hybrid with respect to where people are physically located when they're doing their work, but also for me it's it's hybrid in in that, you know, sometimes the discussions are about IT and infrastructure and you know do we have enough hard drives or do we have the right uh, the right cloud infrastructure? How do we manage and maintain that that infrastructure? I think because so much of our work is cloud based now. That you know that that sort of that that former necessity of being on prem, so you could go over and and you know push the power button on the server uh, to to reboot the darn thing. You know that's the, those days are 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 over, and and it's really sort of freed us to you know you can be on prem because you have a you know sort of human human interface relationship to manage, but if it's just about managing code and data and and infrastructure, well that's all off in the cloud anyway. So you can really do that from from just about anywhere. Yeah, agreed. Um, since you since you brought up uh, managing and management, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you a little more about that. So, how have you seen your role as a manager change in the last few years? And maybe it's um, maybe it's a good idea to think about sort of 2019 and before as yeah. one as one era, uh, and then the the emergency era of COVID. Um, being the second era, and I'd like—I think I'd like to really hear about the era that we're currently in. So, um, you know, we're not in the emergency state that we were in for a few years there, sure. and uh, we're also not going back to 2019. So these days, how are you approaching your role as a manager? You know, given that people are working in a distributed fashion, and um, and and just given the path that you've traveled. Yeah, I think my answer to that may be a little bit different from some others because even pre-COVID, even that you know that that 2019 reality, I already had distributed teams. It wasn't distributed in the sense that people were working from home. It was that you know working for different corporations that had offices in you know Boston and Princeton and San Diego and Cambridge, UK, um, where yes, everyone was in an office, but we were still having meetings that involved remote connectivity. There was still collaboration that required you know conference calls and 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 you know shared resources and being able to share a screen and look at things together. Um, you know you know dealing with a video conferencing. Equipment. So, you know, I had already been living that that reality that became so prevalent during COVID, and everyone had to do it. And many people who had never done it before, you know, had to quickly learn how to do it. Myself and the people that I work with, and 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 the teams that I that I manage, and just you know the the companies that I've that I've been with. Uh, for better or first, we had already been in that mode for some time, or you know, or, or at least to the extent that that was a tool in our toolbox that we knew how to use. And on any given day, 
we would have you know three or four remote calls that 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 we would be um, participating in. So you know, so so the transition in COVID was not very hard for us. It became instead of three or four times a day, this sort of all day. And you know now essentially that's you know to 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 go to the to to the present, you know it really has again kind of freed people to not have to take that hour and a half long commute in Boston, which is terrible for the, for all the people that do it, um, to get those hours back, to have that flexibility, um, and to really kind of to be honest to make use of a lot of the investments that companies have made in that teleconferencing equipment, and to continue to have those those investments um, pay off in terms of employee productivity and well-being and, and just overall um, you know job satisfaction mm-hmm. so you know so that you know I know that that story is a little different than than most people where 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 the the pandemic was this major transition and everything changed a lot for us it was actually fairly easy to make that transition so we were you know I think I think pretty lucky um, and it, but it certainly meant that that when that transition came, that some of the skills that I had started to develop as a remote manager really got got honed, uh, you know, to the point where where now it's it's quite easy to consider and it's quite easy to consider a remote employee as we hire, you know, we'll say things like, well, you know, we would prefer that the candidate be local to the office so they can participate in the local things that happen at the office. Um, but if there's a you know qualified candidate that's remote, they're coming from a different coast or even a different country, um, you know, whereas previously that would be a, a real, you know, sort of pause, we would, you know, definitely need to consider, okay, what's the, what's the cost at which that would come now it's, a, it's, it's, it's a much easier conversation. So it's, it's much easier to see that happening. Mm-hmm. And, and do you think that, um, your ability to be flexible about where you find and, you know, engage with talent, um, has that been a, a worthwhile trade in terms of the you know the difference between now and 2019? Like, do you feel like you yeah. are attracting uh, equally or more talented people, and you have an easier time retaining them because of the difference between now and uh, and the 2019 posture? Yeah, so so it's a double-edged sword. So I think the overall answer is yes. It's much easier to to you know when you have a much larger talent pool to go through, and you don't have to consider relocation or essentially force relocation on people. Um, you know you, your talent pool is that much larger. You can be that much more selective. Um, the, the the double-edged swordness of it is that is that it goes both ways, right? Candidates also know that that they have have a larger pool of potential employers that they can work with and continue to work with, and all those sort of company perks of being in the office and having the great cafeteria and the Friday night social hour that doesn't you know that's you know they're not necessarily getting that directly, and so the company's perks have to extend beyond that, um, you know, to be to be competitive in terms of that retention aspect. Um, I'm definitely seeing cases, and I think this is this is great, where um, you know the sort of geographical differences. People that are coming from, let's say, the Midwest or the Southwest, or you know other places where just sort of cost of living, economics work out a little differently. Um, you know, working for big companies either on the West Coast or the East Coast, who are you know the real benefit that they're getting is a is a sort of you know relative salary bump. You know, because they're getting East Coast salaries, you know, potentially living in in you know somewhere in the Midwest, where you know that's the you know that's essentially part of the retention aspect. But 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 yeah, I think it, you know overall it's a net win win. 
Excellent. Yeah, that's consistent with what I think a, a lot of people find if they're willing to put in the extra effort that that the expanded you know geography that they're able to tap into in terms of where the talent is um, is worthwhile. Yeah, you you do have to you know kind of approach it thoughtfully and do it the right way. Um, what are the everyday tech tools that you use to communicate and yeah let's put aside the you know data analytics packages and the things that are more um idiosyncratic to your particular business but in terms of just yeah. staying com staying in communication with the people that you're not physically with uh describe the the tools that you rely on uh day to day yeah, so so you know the the number one thing that that we're relying on constantly is the asynchronous communication through a combination of email and something like you know Slack or Teams, you know some kind of chat channel. Um, and again, what I'd say is that you know that that idea of having a, a team chat is something that you know again uh, 15 some years ago we had those 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 things they had different names they had yep. you know, different brands but but you know productive you know productive teams that were really collaborating were already using that you know click 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 hey bob i noticed on the last code commit that you know that there was a you know potential of a bug at line 52 can you take a quick look right that kind of one off the thing that that we, we used to say oh i'm going to go knock on someone's door and ask them about well i don't have to get up out of my desk and go to the third floor and track them down and maybe they're right. there maybe they're not there i can just send that message and um, and, and again, whether it's email or whether it's a chat that, you know, everyone has their kind of their preferred modes and their sort of boundaries of how kind of important or relevant it is to have to go there. I think that's something that every every team and every organization has to navigate, you know, to what mm -hmm. extent the chat becomes um, almost a kind of uh, distraction versus email becomes the sort of wasteland. But I've heard them I've heard them both described that way. Um, so that's, you know, that's the sort of number one form. You know, I think the number two form is, you know, particularly when you're remote and you don't have the spontaneous FaceTime that happens, the, the water cooler, coffee cart um, interactions is you have to more actively manage those face-to-face -face relationships. And so you end up having the chat where you all of a sudden you are engaging with someone and you realize, hey, let's just, let's have a quick call, you know, you mm -hmm. know or, you know, let's have a quick video chat. Because yeah, we can all type real fast, but we can actually talk about this even better. And having the sort of um, having the the comfort and even bravery, if you will, to kind of say, let's take this to the next level. Let's take this up a level and take it away from the keyboard, which you know is also partly generational, right? Younger people really just like to just type because mm. uh, that's where you know what they're used to doing. You know, um, the you know folks of a different generation like to be more verbal and to see those sort of facial cues. Um, but you know, I think it, it, it so so it's a combination of, of of those things, having tools and then having that sort of regularity of the process that that right, we are gonna you know we're gonna get things done over email and via chat, but we're also gonna have some face to face and have some group you know some group conversations when we need to. Um, and sometimes they're going to be scheduled. Sometimes they're the sort of, you know, the weekly team meeting or the daily uh, team standup or the, you know, the biweekly face-to-face face-to-face check-in. Those are on the calendar. You know, they're going to happen. But then I think you also have to carve out room and, again, sort of room and, and intention uh, to have the more spontaneous chats. Yeah, that, that 
That makes total sense. Just to clarify um, your answer, you said both Slack and Teams or text chat. Uh, do you which do you use primarily, and what is your video? What is your video meeting platform for internal calls? So I'll be honest. I think these things are fairly fluid at the moment. Today we are using Zoom as our video conferencing system, and we are okay. using Slack as our as our chat interface, and we're and we're using you know the Office Office Outlook as our as our email. But I've I've literally been in companies where that has changed, uh, you know, not every six months, but you know, but at some point those things have have changed. And at this point, you know, yeah, each of those different platforms has some different bells and whistles that at any given moment seem to be better or worse. But I think it's it's so dynamic and it changes so quickly um, that that I've become somewhat agnostic to them. So you know, yeah, I use Slack a lot, but but I'm not initially wedded to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um in terms of uh, research or, you know, could be formal research or could be um, just sort of pop pop culture writing or analysis, have you read any remote or hybrid work research or analysis that's uh, piqued your interest or uncovered something that you previously didn't consider, you know, that relates to your experience as a remote and hybrid uh, manager and employee? Yeah, so so part of being a, a, a computational scientist is that is that you realize that many of the problems that you're trying to solve have probably been solved in some other field elsewhere. And so I actually do read uh, or at least skim kind of you know journal articles from fields that aren't very closely related to what I do. So for example, there's a field called operations research, which is you know all about how should you know should teams and organizations manage their their operations all the way from like fleet logistics to you know to mailroom management to you know organizational efficiencies you name it and so i do i do scan uh, some of the operations research journals and from time to time there are people that have you know you know serious scientific studies that have kind of investigated like okay to what extent does the open office floor plan really reflect a you know increase in in worker productivity efficiency and overall happiness and the answer is it's terrible the the open workplace means that people feel like they're constantly you know the the, the open office floor plan um, you know that, that you know the studies have shown that 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 that's you know probably not the most effective um, you know overall use of of the space. So so in that vein, um, you know I I, I have seen re research. I can't you know I can't point to anything in particular um, just off the top of, of yeah that's okay my head. But you know the, there's definitely people studying these things, and it's very interesting. I think some of the some of the anecdotes that we all think to be true sometimes are true, and just like other anecdotes, they end up not being true. That that you know this idea that oh people that are remote, you know one of, I think one of the one of the sort of myths that that goes around that I've seen debunked is that people that are working from home are not really working. They're just doing their laundry and they're mowing the grass and they're making dinner and and you know they're they're calling into the meeting but then going on uh, you know then turning their video off so that they can go off and read a book or or do, or you know watch a watch a movie or or do something else, right? And you know the studies that that have actually have you know that that I've seen about that is is the answer is Yes, with that extra time that they're getting, um, that that extra sort of flexibility in their day, somebody may be including some mowing or some laundry or or some you know some home chores as part of their day. 
they're things that they would have done during that day anyway, but the, but that just the sort the separation in time becomes more jumbled. But it means that they're also working more in the evening, that in the evenings or nights when they would be doing, doing these other chores, now that laundry's already done, they're actually working on that report that's due tomorrow. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the pieces that I found very interesting that, you know, some of the sort of perceptions about um, about the sort of work-life balance, about people working, at, you know, working remotely, working from home, are actually, you know, in some ways, you know, whether you call it better or worse is, of course, your perspective on it, but but are but are but are very skewed, you know, based on what the sort of perception is from someone who's coming into work every day and it's doing the more traditional nine to five thing. Right, and and how do you, you know, you said you mentioned you were doing some hiring. Um, how do you? Uh, how do you orient new employees uh, and how do you encourage them to establish healthy work-life boundaries when they are working uh, primarily remotely? Like, do you have any tips or, um, or proven ways of, you know, orienting them when they're starting that, that you found to be successful in terms of those, maybe their judgment calls, you know, in some cases, Sure, sure. So, you know, I don't know how much of it, how much of this is, is, you know, completely proven out or not. But, um, you know, one of the things is during hiring and during interviewing, you know, we have to sort of actively um, ask the questions, you know, whether it's a screening question or not. But, you know, we have to ask the question, you know, have you worked in a remote environment before? Have you worked with colleagues who were remote? And, you know, whether this, whether the, whether the candidate is, is, is going to be potentially remote or, or at least working with a team that is remote. We want to understand from the candidate how, you know, how has that been for them in the past when they've had those sorts of interactions? Has it been successful? Do they already have the skills or are they at least willing to develop the skills necessary for that, um, you know, that sort of collaboration to work? Um, in, in, in our field, and I think this is true generally, we really don't want people being siloed, just sitting at their desk, working by themselves, you know, head to the keyboard, never looking up, never talking to anyone else. That's that's not a successful um, work work pattern. We need people to yes have some times where they can focus and concentrate for some length of time, but then they need to be able to lift their head and look around and talk to other people and and interact and collaborate. So so it's really that sort of collaboration skill that in some way we're looking for. And okay, great, you've collaborated. Tell me more about your collaborations. Were those people local in your office? Did you huddle around whiteboards? Oh, they weren't at a whiteboard. They were someone remote. How did you deal with that? Oh, you used a tool to to you know sketch pads out or used mind maps or you know whatever that might be um just sort of you know hearing you know people's from their from their own lips you know what their stories are about how they they dealt with those remote things you know someone comes and says oh yeah i've never i've never done that before i don't really know anything about it then you know that can be a a danger sign aaron we we have time for one more question i'd like the last question to be um when you think about the the toolkit that you're using, you know all the the ways that you communicate with your employees that you're not physically with, and when you think about what is important for for you doing your best work and for your ability to do your best work with your team, what do you think is the biggest opportunity that uh, software developers or you know consultants who are who are making a living out there, you know, helping companies embrace distributed work. What do you think is the biggest opportunity 
right now? Which is the piece of the puzzle that seems like it needs urgent evolution? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, so because our work is so distributed, like I said, you know, our data is on the cloud, our code is on the cloud, our operations are on the cloud. We're already, you know, using our 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 computer screens to get to where the work is, and the ability to sort of, you know, we already have, as you know, the ability to share our screens and show someone, like, okay, here's here's where, you know, here's what's going on here, and I'll use my mouse and click there. They can, you know, depending on what 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 uh, what video app they're using, usually have the ability to grab a highlighter or a marker and to, and to scribble on the screen as well, and you start to get something close to that in-person whiteboard, chalkboard experience. Um, that that works when it's two or maybe three people. Where that breaks down is, and, and what is I think still missing is the group collaboration. You know, having a, a really collective and and engaging group group collective. And you know, and and again, this is where we tend to when we need to do them, we'll say, all right, we're going to have a, a quote unquote offsite. We'll have a a retreat. We'll get everyone together in a you know, in a hotel conference room and the people that are remote are not going to be remote. They're going to, they're going to travel and they're going to be there for that half day. And we're going to have a really intensive session where we're going to do a number of different things. We'll do a, we'll do the a SWOT analysis, the, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and, and threats. And there'll be one board and everyone can go up and write on the board and they can scribble on the board and they can use sticky notes to, to, to vote on the things that they care about the most. Um, right, you know, those sorts of more interactive, you know, I, I, I liken them to like, you know, to the old kind of, you know, trust fall sorts of um, experiences where, where you really, there is a physical presence that's, that's required to have that really work. So thinking about those sorts of group collaboration things and group dynamics, how you achieve that in a, you know, in a still remote or even hybrid setting, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that remains um, that remains largely unaddressed um, mm -hmm. and is why we keep having, you know, from time to time, you know, a couple of times a year, these sorts of, you know, all hand, quote unquote, all hands retreats where we will to get together as a group. Those things also have their social reasons. You know, we'll also then we'll go out to dinner or we'll go to a ball game or, you know, there'll be some some social aspect of that as well. Um, but uh, but I think, you know, from a from a sort of working standpoint, it's that kind of, you know, larger collaboration. Um, I'm a big fan of things like mind maps and and or, or just or just scribbling on a board in general. And those tools have continued to get better and and better. But but again, it tends to be one person leading and then someone else following or, or maybe one or two other people just kind of um, you know pointing out things as the person that's that's driving. Um, but so having you know having that kind of multiple drivers con you know at the same time where multiple people can be typing in, multiple people can be clicking and adding to the content um, all at once. I think that's a that's something that's you know to me that seems like just there on the technological edge. Like that, I think that should be already possible. Um, and I just haven't seen a good a good solution for that yet. Okay, well that's very useful, and I hope some um, I hope some skilled software providers are out there listening right now maybe that will they will take up that challenge it sounds like you're what you're describing is is partially a, a tool uh challenge but it's also uh partially maybe um a behavioral challenge like 
the tools, I think you're saying the tools are are maybe on the edge of being able to deliver an experience like that, but the cultural or training part of making it happen regularly when you're not physically together is still still not there. Is that right? I think that's true. I think, you know, and, and again, I did not in, in invent this formalism, but there's this, uh, always this idea of there's there's three things you need. You need tools, you need people who know how to use the tools, um, and then you need a process that, that the people understand how to follow and that the tool actually supports. And unless you have all three of those things, the sort of the knowledge of the tool and the knowledge of the, of the process and everyone sort of agreed and, mm -hmm. and and aligned on what that process is is going to be having a fantastic whizbang tool doesn't help if there is no you know common alignment common understanding of what the process is what is it that we're trying to achieve um and you know vice versa you can have a great a great intention and a great process but if the tools don't support it then you can't get there so you have to have all all, all three of those things. And so you're right, you know, it's the sort of culture and understanding, and this is how we're going to do it. And by the way, there's usually some organic learning there, right? You know, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's new tools that we evaluate all the time that are supposed to make our work better. And, you know, the vendor shows it to us and then they tell us about those other teams that have used it, but we have to use it ourselves and kind of use it, not just in a demo mode, but in a real, you know, in a right. real life situation and use it in earnest and fall into the sort of you know fall into the various traps and corners and and stumble our our way around to really get a sense of, of whether it's going to be a good tool for us or not and part of that is always an and some kind of adaptation to well this is how the tool wants us to to perform this is you know this is the process that the tool expects us to be following so if we can adapt our own process our, our previous process to that then great then it may be a good fit uh but yeah, it's it's definitely definitely culture and process are are part of it. You know, I've I've never seen any any productivity tool that out of the box was actually productive until I you know until I learned the method that went with it. Agreed, agreed, a hundred percent. We're going to leave it there for today. Uh, my guest today has been Aaron Mackey, the vice president and head of data and AI ML at Sonata Therapeutics. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Adam. This was actually a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, have a great day. I'm your host, Adam Riggs, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Remotely Possible, the podcast about distributed work and the people who make it possible. Remotely Possible is sponsored by Frameable, a software company with a mission of making virtual collaboration feel as easy as turning around and talking to each other. Learn more at frameable.com. To become a guest on an upcoming edition of Remotely Possible, head over to frameable.com slash podcast and introduce yourself. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show and include the hashtag Remotely Possible. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it on your social networks and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Your likes, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and to our team. Want to know how Frameable Spaces helps Microsoft Teams and Outlook users collaborate more effectively? Visit our website, frameable.com, or follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.